In the name of God, most merciful, ever merciful, and may God's peace and blessings be upon his holy prophet Muhammad and the purified members of his household and progeny. Allahumma salli ala Muhammad wa ali Muhammad wa ajil farajahum. Brothers, sisters, respected viewers, assalamu alaikum jami'an wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. And thank you for joining us once again in our series, Life, the Islamic Answer. As you will remember, we were going through some of the main ingredients that are mentioned in the uh, Islamic uh, verses of the Holy Quran and the narrations of the Holy Prophet and the Imams السلام, that help us become the most effective and best learners that we can be. Given that we said that our the first step on this journey of knowledge is that we actually become the learners, the ones who seek the knowledge. So until now we covered the necessity, first the importance and then the necessity of learning and knowledge. And inshallah we're going to come back to that in a little bit more detail. And the danger of acting without knowledge. And we spoke about the importance of dedicating oneself to knowledge in some capacity, the importance of deeper understanding and not being contented with or satisfied with uh, a superficial or, uh, you know, a, a, just uh, an, an understanding in appearance or a first layer of understanding to go deeper, to always look for uh, a deeper understanding and see what connections and what applications may come out of the knowledge. Uh, the importance of serious study in the very, you know, academic literal sense of studying and dedicating time uh, and hard work to uh, understanding and reflecting on what we're learning. And uh, direct apprenticeship, which we said in nowadays would be called something like mentorship or being associated with someone, uh, an actual human being who carries that knowledge or aspects of that knowledge that we can uh, go back to, refer to, and basically to some capacity get a personification of that knowledge. And then we began with a number of character traits uh, that we will inshallah continue today and so last time we met we spent a bit of time on the acceptance of truth being open being objective and being someone who um, you know you must feel as though knowledge and wisdom are things that are precious to you uh, perhaps more precious than anything else to the point where it becomes your dalah the thing that you're constantly looking out for and trying to seek uh, and find wherever you can uh, and regardless of who may be the one who is uh, imparting that knowledge but at the same time we said and we finished with that point that um, in today's world where those who are sharing wisdom and knowledge uh, sometimes it is real knowledge and sometimes it is not and sometimes it's real wisdom and sometimes it is not and so first and foremost we have to make sure that we equip ourselves with some sort of foundation that allows us to be that open and uh, be that receptive to uh, the good that may come out of anyone so that we are able ourselves to filter through and assess the quality of what we're hearing, what we're reading, what we're seeing, 
and to be able to say that this is actual knowledge or not or to say that uh, from everything that I'm hearing here are the components that are beneficial and useful and more importantly that are not in contradiction with Islamic teachings and for us we said this must therefore begin with a solid foundation in the Holy Quran and a solid foundation in the narrations and the teachings of the Holy Prophet and Ahlul Bayt which is exactly what we are trying to do in this series so we continue with these character traits and you'll see today that we'll mention a few of them they don't all fall squarely under the title of character traits some of these are going to be habits some of these are going to be uh, a general attitude uh, and certainly as we said we're going very quickly through these just to highlight the big ingredients uh, many of these as we will see we're going to come back to from a different angle when especially when we're going to talk about the manners of uh, the learner and the teacher as well the manners of, of learning and teaching uh, and other topics as well we're going to come back to a lot of these in more detail but perhaps from a, a different uh, dimension or different angle for the time being we're really just focused on at least listing some of the most important ingredients for being an effective learner in islam so in addition to what we have already said, we continue with the next one, which is humility. And the humility oftentimes we hear uh, is being focused on the one who is learning. So the humility of the learner. The truth is that in our uh, tradition, in our narrations, we find that both sides are requested are ordered are commanded to have humility both the learner and the teacher and the humility is in the presence of knowledge for the sake of knowledge itself you're supposed to be in a state of humility in a state of modesty not in a state of arrogance because all of this is for the sake of knowledge whether you're the one sharing and imparting and teaching or whether you're the one receiving and learning so the first hadith from Imam Ali alayhi salam, he says, تَوَاضَعُوا لِمَنْ تَتَعَلَّمُونَ مِنْهُ الْعِلْمِ وَلِمَنْ تُعَلِّمُونَهُ وَلَا تَكُونُوا مِنْ جَبَابِرَةِ الْعِلْمِ فَلَا يَقُومُ جَهْلُكُمْ بِعِلْمِكُمْ So the Imam says, make yourselves humble to the one you learn from. So this is advice to the learner. And then he says, and to the one you teach. And so, this is advice to the teacher. Both sides have to be humble. You have to be humble before the person teaching you and you have to be humble before the person learning from you. All of this for the sake of knowledge. And then the imam adds, and do not be arrogant, scholars. So scholars here works both ways. Why? Then your foolishness or your ignorance, your jahl, will never match your knowledge. Right? So that if you act with arrogance, if you do not act with modesty and with humility, you are going to stay, to remain in a state of ignorance and foolishness, even though you may have knowledge, that knowledge is never actually matched in your conduct, in your behavior, in your real state. You're not matching the theory, in theory, the, the theoretical knowledge that you're carrying. Okay, so that's the first hadith. The second hadith from Imam al-Sadiq alayhi salam, he says, اُطْلُبُوا الْعِلْمِ وَتَزَيَّنُوا مَعَهُ بِالْحِلْمِ وَالْوَقَارِ وَتَوَاضَعُوا لِمَنْ تُعَلِّمُونَهُ الْعِلْمِ 
وتواضعوا لمن طلبتم منه العلم ولا تكونوا علماء جبارين فذهب باطلكم بحقكم إمام الصادق عليه السلام says seek knowledge and adorn yourself in addition with patience and dignity so when you carry knowledge you're carrying something beautiful the imam says and therefore you must beautify yourselves you must adorn yourselves with what matches the knowledge you're carrying which is the imam says al-hilmi wal waqar so that you adorn yourself with patience and with dignity these qualities go hand in hand with the person seeking knowledge and with the person giving knowledge okay and then the imam adds watawadu in the same line of thought that we had in the first hadith and be humble and show modesty, humility be humble towards those you teach and the imam here, Imam Sadiq is starting with giving advice to the teacher first okay, so to those you teach be humble towards those you teach and remain humble towards those from whom you sought knowledge and this is important too here the imam, see in Arabic the imam says وَتَوَاضَعُوا لِمَنْ طَلَبْتُمْ مِنْهُ الْعِلْمِ He could have said وَتَوَاضَعُوا لِمَنْ تَطْلُبُونَ مِنْهُ الْعِلْمِ Be humble towards those from whom you are seeking knowledge. No, the Imam put it in the past. If, you know, you were six years old and someone was teaching you something, and that's it, they never taught you anything after that. You are seven, eight, nine, something that happened in the past. The Imam says, you remain humble to that person for having taught you. That never goes away. Regardless of, in a lot of cases, you are going to go way beyond the person who taught you. You may acquire much more knowledge. This was someone who was simply teaching you something very basic, and with time you become a huge scholar. You remain indebted to that person for having taught you, for having given you those basic things. The Imam says, and you remain humble to that person. Even though this may have happened way in the past, it's not happening now. This person is not your teacher now. In fact, they should probably be your student in some capacity or another. But you remain humble to that person for what they taught you. And never become arrogant scholars, the Imam says. And never become arrogant or tyrannical scholars. Then your wrongs will leave with your rights. Right? There are right things that you're doing. There are good things that you're doing by seeking knowledge. But if you are arrogant, if you're a tyrant because of that knowledge, it gets to your head and you become a tyrant because of that knowledge, then your wrongs are going to leave with your rights, with the good that you're doing. All of it is going to be vanished. All of it is going to go away. And here, there's a few things. So inshallah, for the first point, and we're going to come back to this one a couple of times, the first point here clearly is the point of humility. So that one, we'll come back to it, modesty, humility, and how it is associated with knowledge. That's the first one. The second one, and here there's certainly a clue, inshallah, that it is clear. You see how both Imam Ali and Imam Sadiq salam in these ahadith are talking about notions that are going to become very useful for us when we think about community. Imagine you have people, this is not a one-way, this is two-way. The imams are telling both the person who is learning and the person who is teaching, whether you are giving or whether you are receiving, that relationship is under a general attitude of humility and modesty. 
So here is a part of the foundation of a community of knowledge, that it is based on modesty and humility, not arrogance and not tyranny, because someone has more knowledge than another, or someone is seeking better than another, then suddenly this becomes a reason to basically let it get to your head. And that's why Imam Sadiq added to those more characters, more character traits, by saying, adorn yourselves. If you are in this general sphere of activity called knowledge, seeking knowledge, giving knowledge, then you must adorn yourself with patience and with dignity. Hilm and wiqar. You have to carry yourself with patience and with dignity. Okay, so that's the second point. The third point is, in relation to this point of humility and modesty, this is a reminder, we spent a long time on this, so just a refresher, that see how the imams are not talking about knowledge as though it is the information itself. They're talking about knowledge in what we've been calling transformational. Knowledge has to have an effect on your soul. It needs to show in the manner in which you conduct yourself, behave. And this is going to show much more at the level of your soul with character traits like patience and dignity and humility. If the knowledge you're acquiring does not lead to more of these traits, then I don't know if we can really call it Islamic knowledge. That's not the knowledge in the Islamic sense that we've been talking about. Okay, so one has to be very careful with this. That's a, a, another point. As we said, there's a lot of character traits that are related to this. Maybe one last point related to all of this, there, that there's a social, there's a practical component to this. And it's that at a very practical level, knowledge is something that is already difficult to deal with. Seeking knowledge is something difficult. You have to go out of your way to do it, especially religious knowledge. Knowledge in general, but especially religious knowledge. It's something that you have to sacrifice for, work hard for. It's already difficult to acquire knowledge, and it's already difficult to, to share knowledge, to teach, and to impart knowledge. These are difficult things in themselves. So it's as though the imams are saying these are things that are difficult in themselves. Don't make them even more difficult by being arrogant, by not displaying the right character traits, then knowledge itself becomes undesirable. If every time you want to go learn, the person teaching has arrogance, makes you feel inferior, they act in a superior air, superior way, or the opposite, so whether you are the person learning or whether you're the person teaching, if those you're dealing with make it more difficult, of course this is going to be discouraging to you. And this might be a reason to stop learning or to stop teaching. And that's why the imams are saying the foundation has to be a foundation of modesty, of humility. Don't make the person feel like they are inferior or that you are being difficult Deal with everything related to knowledge with patience. You have, we're going to see a lot more of this today, inshallah. With patience, with dignity, and with modesty and humility. Okay? So at a very practical level, we see that there are barriers, right? These are psychological, spiritual barriers that might prevent someone from teaching or learning. The imams are basically saying, remove all those barriers. We're going to see more hadith related to that. The next ingredient 
asking. The notion of su'al. And we have a few hadith related to this. We're not going to go through all of them. We might come back to this topic a little bit later in the series. For now, just this one hadith from the Holy Prophet ﷺ. He says, Al-ilmu khaza'an wa mafatihuhu as-su'al fas'alu yarhamukum Allah fa'innahu yu'jaru arba'ah as-sa'il wal-mu'allim wal-mustami' wal-muhibbu lahum so the Holy Prophet says, knowledge is treasures, and its keys are questions. So ask, may God have mercy on you, for when you ask, there are four who are rewarded. The one who asks, the one who teaches, the one listening, and the one who loves them. Okay, so we can talk about those four very quickly. The Holy Prophet is basically saying the moment there is someone who asks, and obviously here the Holy Prophet is not talking about asking in general. This is not like day-to-day life. The Holy Prophet is talking about a teaching setting. Why? Because the Holy Prophet as-sa'il wal-mu'allim, right? So there is someone teaching. Therefore, the person asking is the person learning. There's a learner, there's a teacher, There might be people who are not really the seekers of knowledge. You're not really a student, but you happen to be in a situation where you're hearing what's going on. You're observing directly or indirectly. That's why the Holy Prophet says, وَالْمُسْتَمِعْ So if you can imagine the Holy Prophet, we're going to talk about that in the manners of learning. The Holy Prophet would say, those who learn should sit the closest possible to the teacher, and they should be in circles. And that's how I like to see you in the masjid, the Holy Prophet would tell them. Okay, And so sometimes there are people who are sitting in that circle around the teacher. Those are the clear students. And there are others who are sitting on the side because they're not formally the students of that person. They're not in that class, in that series of lectures, and so on and so forth. But they may attend, they may hear things, and those things are beneficial to them. Okay, That's a mustami'. They're kind of the indirect learner. And then in addition to that, so the Holy Prophet says, the one who asks... The one who teaches gets reward. The one who asks get reward. The one who hears them gets reward. And the one who loves them gets reward. You go back to the narration, subhanAllah, the Holy Prophet. We have many narrations where the Holy Prophet is constantly saying, seek knowledge. Imagine you had access to someone like the Holy Prophet or the Imams. How many questions would you be asking them? Would you ever stop asking questions? Unless it is out of fear of being disrespectful or, you know, the Holy Prophet, Imam Ali salam would say we would sit around the Holy Prophet and no one would ask questions. So as soon as there is no one asking questions, I would begin asking questions, Imam Ali salam says. And he would say, and if I stop, the Holy Prophet would begin and he would give me all sorts of information. And if he stops, I ask questions. Okay? And that's part of what made Imam Ali salam Imam Ali salam he seeks those things that are important. He finds knowledge in the Holy Prophet that no one else can share. And so he goes after it. And the same thing happened with Ahlul Bayt with the Imams. You see their companions, those who understand, the scholars, they're constantly asking questions from the Imams. That's the first. The second, when the Holy Prophet says, and the one teaches, so that's our clue that this is clearly a teaching setting. Because otherwise, Asking too many questions in general, 
and even in a knowledge setting, we're going to come back to that in the manners of learning, you have to be careful that you're not exaggerating with the amount of questions and the art of asking the question has to be observed. What are you asking? Is it a good, intelligent, wise, relevant question or not? Okay, inshallah, we're going to come back and see some hadith related to that. And then when the Holy Prophet says, And the one who loves them. So this person who loves them, he's not even sitting there or she's not even sitting there. The Holy Prophet says there are people who are sitting listening to a teacher. So the Holy Prophet says, so ask questions. May God have mercy on you. Ask questions. Because there are four who will get rewarded for those questions. The one asking, the one answering, anyone listening to them, and the person who loves them. The person who loves the seekers of knowledge. The person who loves the teachers of knowledge. You remember when we talked about community and we said what creates a real community is not the physical proximity or the simultaneous presence in time. What creates a real community is your intention. This person loves those people because they are gathered around knowledge, because they are sharing that knowledge, learning that knowledge. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala rewards that person for that love, even though that person may not even be with them physically. Okay, this may even be happening at a different time. It may be happening at a different place. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala rewards that person for that intent, for that love that they have for them. So inshallah, we're going to talk much more about this. We could dedicate a full lecture, if not more, on this question question or questioning or asking questions. What does it mean? We're definitely going to come back to it uh, in much more detail. One thing that is we can highlight right away is that to ask a question, you have to be able, if it is sincere, because that's the condition of asking questions, is that it is sincere. You're not doing it to show your knowledge. You're not doing it to show the ignorance of the person. You're not doing it out of stubbornness and so on and so forth. If the question is sincere, asking the question in itself shows the character trait that we just talked about, which was humility. Asking a question sincerely means that you have enough humility and enough modesty to ask the question. And that's why the first person who receives the reward is the one who asks the question, who takes that initiative. You open the door for all of these other people to get the blessing of the answer and the rewards because you were the one who overcame that ego. You don't have so much ego that you can't lower yourself to ask and learn. No, you take the initiative to learn. You take the initiative to ask questions and learn from those answers and everybody else benefits from that. The entire community will benefit from the answers and the questions that are being shared and discussed. And of course, this brings us back to the notion of community once again. Inshallah, we come back to that later. The next ingredient, patience and perseverance. The Holy Prophet says, من لم يصبر على ذل التعلم ساعة بقي في ذل الجهل أبدا The one who will not endure an hour of humility or an hour of inferiority to learn will remain in the degradation or in the inferiority of ignorance forever. And again, 
So in general, we could say you have to put up with a lot to learn. But here specifically, I think we can tie it back once again to the notion of humility and modesty. It's not always fun to be in the learner seat, to be put in a situation where you are learning, where you are receiving knowledge. But that's why the Holy Prophet praises this person and the logical component to this, and inshallah when we talk about the merits of seeking knowledge, you'll see that nothing matches the rewards of seeking knowledge. But in addition to that, and logically, the Holy Prophet says, but that's the only way you get out of that state, is that you endure that state for an hour, for a fixed amount of time, unless until you learn what you need to learn. Either you do that, or you have to remain in a state of ignorance forever. So you remain in the degradation forever, the degradation of ignorance, or you endure the degradation, if we can call it that, the inferiority of being a learner for a temporary amount of time so that you can move out of it. Okay? The next hadith, the next hadith is not a hadith. The next part that I had was in just a quick reference. Either, I don't know, we talk about it now, maybe we talked about it, we talk about it later. The entire story of Prophet Musa salam with Al-Khidr in Surah Al-Kahf, Cave, starts at verse uh, 65 and it goes on for 12, 13 verses where the Holy Quran tells us how Prophet Musa salam was with uh, another man and they were waiting until they got the clues and the signs that this was the meeting place and they met one of the servants of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The narrations tell us that this was Al-Khidr salam and so Musa salam goes to him and he tells him, will you allow me to accompany you so that you may teach me some of that which the good judgment and the sound judgment that you have been taught. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, one of our servants whom we had taught from us, from ourselves. We have given him a knowledge from ourselves. And Musa salam goes to him and tells him, will you allow me to accompany you so that you share and I learn some of that wisdom that you have been given while I accompany you? And initially, this man told Musa salam, no. No, you can't accompany me because you will not be able to bear patiently with me the knowledge that I that you need to be with me. Because you lack that knowledge, you will not be able to be patient. You will not be able to bear patiently what you're about to see because you lack the knowledge. Okay? Assalamu alaikum. Assalamu rahmatullah. Okay, and so that's the whole story, inshallah, alaykum assalam wa rahmatullah. In the future, we talk a little bit more about this. We There are too many points to cover in this story. It's very, very rich. But just the quick highlight that a reminder of all of these character traits, you see someone of the rank of the position of Prophet Musa, salam, and he goes out of his way to seek knowledge and wisdom that he may not have himself, that someone else may have. So he's willing to go and travel and meet that person and then endure what we refer to perhaps as this degradation, to be humble and to stand and to ask to accompany this person so that he may learn from him. And this person told him, no, you can't even accompany me. And Prophet Musa salam did not let go. He said, no, I commit to you and I promise you that I will try my best to bear patiently so that I learn. You see, he doesn't easily just let go. You see the character traits here. This is the seeker of knowledge. 
This is how far he's willing to go. And this is Prophet Musa salam. In his rank, at his level, he doesn't say God will teach me. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told him, there is knowledge with this person that you do not have. If you want it, you have to go seek it. And he went and he sought it. Okay, so that whole story, inshallah, maybe one day we'll see. If you guys are very interested in it, we'll dedicate because it requires a little bit of time to go through the verses and to highlight the parts related to knowledge, the manners of knowledge, the seeking of knowledge, the teaching of knowledge. We can talk a little bit more about that. The next ingredient or the next trait, it might be a little bit surprising. The Holy Prophet says, لَيْسَ مِنْ أَخْلَاقِ الْمُؤْمِنِ الْمَلَقِ so we could stop here because that's a teaching of the Holy Prophet on its own. But then he says, So it is not one of the manners of the believer, someone who is a faithful believer, to use an excess of flattery. Al-malaq or al-tamalluq is when you are, you exaggerate in the praise and the compliments and the flattery that you give someone. Okay, so the Holy Prophet says, it's not one of the behaviors of a good believer, of a good faithful person, to kind of go and praise too much and give too many compliments. You have to be truthful. You don't exaggerate. You don't become excessive in doing that. And the Holy Prophet adds, he says there's an exception, unless it is to seek knowledge. If this is one way to get more knowledge and to get to the knowledge, then do, do that. That's one way to acquire more knowledge, and we'll talk about that in a second. Okay, I wanted to talk about the, maybe very, we can talk about this hadith first. I'll talk the second one. It's also related from Imam Ali alayhi salam. There's a hadith in which he says, but he adds a second trait. He says, لَيْسَ مِنْ إِخْلَاقِ الْمُؤْمِنِ الْمَلَقِ وَلَا الْحَسَدِ إِلَّا فِي طَلَبِ الْعِلْمِ So he says, it's not one of the manners of the believer to use an excess of flattery or to feel envious, except in seeking knowledge. Okay, so these are two ahadith that may seem surprising, but in fact they're directly related to everything that we've been talking about. This is the first of all the importance, the priority of knowledge and what you have to be willing to go through to acquire it, even if it means, you know, using flattery, even if it means envy, and we're going to talk about that in a second, what would be meant here. Maybe someone would have a question and Perhaps in the future we can talk a little bit more about all of this. Why would it be okay in these situations, because you're seeking knowledge, why would it be suddenly okay to use an excess of flattery or even to feel envy? Envy, we're going to come back to it because it's a little bit different. But especially something like this, an excess of flattery, tamalluq or malaq, why would that be okay? there might be here a reference to a different dimension, to a more, let's call it psychosocial dimension to learning. And this is not something, um, you know, this is part of the genius of our religion, that it's always aware and it always highlights or points to these traits, these character traits, this human nature that exists in human beings in general. And you see that it's always treated. It's not left untreated in Islam. If you have a situation where there is someone who spends a lot of time until they acquire a substantial amount of knowledge. This, we're, talking, we're not talking about the exception. 
We're not talking about the people who are very aware of this, but that's exactly why we talk about this, right? So that we become aware of it. In the normal situation, the person who now has knowledge, and the hadith says, go and do excessive flattery so that you acquire their knowledge, this person had to work very hard to get to where they are and to acquire the knowledge that they have. Typically, in most societies, in most settings, those who acquire that knowledge, and they've done this for a very long time until they are where they are, usually with time, the feeling that they get is that the majority of the people don't appreciate the knowledge that they carry. This person feels that they are carrying something very important, very significant, and people should be rushing to acquire it and to learn it just like they did, just like this person themselves went after it and acquired it. But in most cases, what they go through, what they experience in life is that the majority of the people don't seem to really care as much about something that should be very significant. And this is no different, by the way, for, in fact, I would say for religious knowledge, this might be even more the case, unless you're very careful so that you don't fall in this vicious circle. Okay, so you spend a lot of time, a lot of energy, you sacrifice a lot, you acquire knowledge, you feel like this knowledge should be something very important that people appreciate, that everybody wants to know, that you, were, you will be encouraged, that you will be praised, that you will be recognized and respected for the knowledge that you carry, but with time you start seeing that that's actually not the case. And so you develop a sort of a bitterness. You feel underappreciated, undervalued. And of course, you start losing any incentive to share the real knowledge that you carry. Because you don't feel like people really appreciate that knowledge. You worked so hard and for so long to acquire all this knowledge, and now you just give it away to people who don't even care about it. So, what happens is those who carry the knowledge end up not sharing that knowledge. They might share bits and pieces of it, but the real knowledge that they carry, that they can share, is not shared, or not shared in the best possible way. And so this creates a vicious circle. And this becomes a huge barrier in society. There's a psychological component to this, and there's a social component to this. One way to counter this, the imams are telling us, one way to counter this is for you, as someone who is seeking knowledge, this should be you and I, for our entire lives, as we said, to be openly using, generously using flattery if we need to. Don't be afraid to praise. Don't be afraid to compliment. Don't be afraid to encourage this person who has knowledge to share that knowledge so that this never becomes a barrier. No matter how much you're going to give them flattery, it's actually not going to be enough because you're going to be the exception, not the rule. Generally speaking, in society... They are not going to be appreciated for the knowledge they carry, usually. Right? So this is a way to counter this, and a way for us to be aware of it. Once you carry the knowledge, don't fall in this pattern. You're not carrying the knowledge, you're not acquiring the knowledge just so that people recognize that you carry the knowledge. The knowledge is for you. The knowledge makes you better, makes you behave differently, makes you see the world differently. Much more depth, much more breadth, and makes you grow as a person. You're not doing this so that people appreciate you or respect you or praise you more. 
But you as a seeker of knowledge, regardless of you know the person who has the knowledge and how they feel and their psychological state, that's irrelevant to me. What I care about is, as a seeker of knowledge, I want to find a way to get to the bottom of it, and I want the best knowledge this person has. So the hadith is basically telling me, do what you got to do. And one way is, if it means complimenting them, if it means being excessive in the praise that you give them, do, be, be, be it. That's great, that's good. Do what you got to do to get to the bottom of it and to get the best quality, the best knowledge that is hidden in that person. Right? This is the precious thing that you've lost. This is your dal. This is your lost precious camel or horse that you've lost and finally you found it. You're just going to let it go again. You found knowledge in this person. If a little bit of flattery is all that's needed, use flattery. If you need modesty and patience and dignity, that's what you put up with until you get to the knowledge that you need from that person. So that's as I consider it to be part of the genius of our religion, to constantly highlight these things. They're delicate. They're kind of hidden gems, right? But they, they point to the human nature, the psychological, the social aspect of the human being, both individually and collectively, right? This works at a community level. This works at a personal level. And as for the second hadith, it's not the, of the manners of the believer to use flattery or to feel envious. So this envy, what about this envy that Imam Ali salam says? Except in seeking knowledge. So here we have to see this hasad, this envy, as something very positive. That you should not be content. It should not be okay with you that someone has more knowledge with you. And in today's world, we would say this is the noble competition. Right? You're, you're in some sort of competitive sport. You should not be happy that others are better than you in that sport. You have to work harder to get there. Knowledge should be one of those areas where there is that type of noble competition. Be envious in the positive way of acquiring that knowledge. The Holy Quran talks about this competition in multiple verses. We've, we've gone through a few of them. When it comes to the good things, when it comes to heaven, when it comes to being a believer, the Holy Quran says, compete. Don't let others get more thawab than you. Get more thawab than them. This is where the those who want to compete should compete, the Holy Quran says. If there's any competition, this is where it should be. If there is competition, this is where it should be. So this is the positive way of understanding envy. Right? Don't be contented. Don't Consider that to be just a negative, uh, undesirable trait. There are things for which you should have that type of envy. Not in the sense that I wish that you know knowledge is removed from that person. That would be problematic envy. That would be the hasad in the fiqhi and theological sense, then that's forbidden. But in the sense that they have something good and I should seek the same thing. Why do they have that something which is good and desirable and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants us to have? And why do they have more of it than me? Why does this person pray more than me? Why does this person recite Quran more than me? I should be at that level. I should be better. I should work harder than them. Okay, so this is the envy, but this is a positive envy. And so Imam Ali is saying, when it comes to seeking knowledge, it is okay. In fact, it should be desirable. To use flattery, this is one place where flattery becomes exceptionally good and one place where the envy becomes something positive. Okay, next hadith. 
This is to highlight, we have a couple of ahadith here. I, I noted two of them. Two ahadith from the Holy Prophet and from Imam Ali, the first one. The second one is a little bit of a story. These have to do with the importance of writing. And we've talked a lot about the importance of writing. Knowledge is bound in our tradition, in our narrations. Knowledge is bound to writing. The imams have multiple narrations related to this. You want to learn, you write. Okay, and the, here are two ahadith. There are more, inshallah, we may come back to it later in more detail. The Holy Prophet or Imam Ali السلام, both of them, this narration is attributed to them. They say, قيدوا العلم قيل وما تقييده قال كتابته. So the Holy Prophet says, or Imam Ali السلام, says, secure knowledge. You know, imagine that you have a wild animal and they're saying, attach it. Don't just let it roam free. Make it bound to something, attached to something. Okay, so the Holy Prophet says, secure down knowledge, secure it. And so he was asked, and how do we secure knowledge? He says, by writing it down. That's how knowledge becomes secured, attached. It won't evaporate. It won't run away. Okay, that's the first hadith. The second hadith is not so much a hadith as a quick story that's mentioned in a number of books. Hilal ibn Zayd ibn Yasar فقلت ما معي محبرة فقال يا هلال لا تفارق المحبرة فإن الخير فيها وفي أهلها يوم القيامة So there is a man Hilal ibn Zayd ibn Yasar He says I saw the Holy Prophet saying something to the companions something of knowledge he says يقول لأصحابه شيئا من العلم والحكمة He was saying to his companions something of knowledge and wisdom So I came and I said to the Holy Prophet, O Messenger of God, please repeat to me what you have said to them. So he asked me, Hilal says, the Holy Prophet asked me. So he asked me, and do you have ink? Do you have mahbara? So the thing that you carry ink in and the thing you write with. They usually go together, right? So do you have ink and basically a pen, a writing instrument? Right now, do you, are you carrying one? Something to write on and to write with? I said, no. He said, O Hilal, do not leave your writing tool behind. For good, any good, all good, for good is associated with it and with its people. With what? With writing. Good is associated with it and with its people on the day of judgment. That good does not even or may not even show in this world. But in the afterlife, it's going to show. And here there's a a few things that we can say about this. So we've definitely talked about the importance of writing. You want to learn, write, and write in your own words. And write down what you learned and paraphrase and comment on it. Link knowledge with writing. Okay? I think we've, we've made that point in the past too. And the second point related to this is that always deal with knowledge with respect. Knowledge is not something that you can you might think that you can easily learn simply by hearing, by listening. Give it enough time or be put in a situation where you're forced to repeat it 
And you'll see that it was not that easy. It does not come so easily. A lot of the details may be missing. The context is different. The wording is changed. Okay, you're no longer sure if it applies or not, or even what the points or the arguments were for you know, anything that was discussed. So always, if you consider it to be knowledge, treat it with respect. And the best way to do that is write it down. Okay, with time, or if you have an exceptionally amazing memory, good for you, but usually with time, this is something that you can work on and see which parts need to be written down and which ones don't. But initially, everything and as much as possible should be written down. Okay, even for yourself in your own notes and sometimes for even other reasons, but we'll get to that later. Okay, that's the first. The second point, of course, we talked a little bit about this too. This is real knowledge. That's why the Holy Prophet says, do you have something to write with? You're asking me this question. You want me to repeat to you the knowledge and wisdom I shared to others. Are you going to write it down or do I just tell it to you and then it's going to evaporate? It's going to disappear. Okay, this is what we meant. We talked a little bit about this. We said, you know, we can either talk about real knowledge or we can talk about what may pass as knowledge nowadays. You know, a 30-second clip on Instagram or YouTube, right? That's not real knowledge. That has no depth. And the way, the context, the setting in which it is learned, this is not real knowledge. You have to be ready. You have to be focused. You have to be dedicated. You have to be understanding that this is knowledge and one of the best ways to do that is write it down write the important part of it think about it review it later study it if it's not written down how are you going to do any of that okay that's one point the other point that i thought very interesting when i read this hadith this man hilal ibn zayd ibn yasar if you go in our books i have not seen any mention of this man in our books if you go in the general Sunni books, when he's mentioned, this man is not considered someone authentic. Okay? So many people would read this hadith and they would dismiss it. Okay? But I don't think the hadith needs to be dismissed for all sorts of reasons. And this is not the kind of hadith that you would dismiss. Right? There is no new or different information in it from a fiqhi or theological sense. So there's no need to dismiss it whether he's authentic or not. What I think is more interesting, perhaps even more important is to link this man with this story. So what happened? This man comes to the Prophet, he heard him say something to his companions that he knows is a teaching. He asked the Holy Prophet to give him that teaching. The Holy Prophet says, can you write it down right now? He says, no. He says, basically, go and get your writing tool and I will teach it to you. So here there are two points. The first point is that Perhaps why the Holy Prophet asked him to write it down is that because this man was not someone who was really good at memorizing anything. And that's why in the books of Rajal, in the books of biographies of the chains of narration, he's not considered to be authentic because he was not good at memorizing things and the Holy Prophet knows. So the Holy Prophet may be dealing with him in a different way that he may be dealing with someone else. The Holy Prophet knows this is not someone who could be relied on to learn the ahadith this quickly. He might, he might be someone who's just very forgetful, for instance, very distracted. He's going to distort the meaning of what he's learning if it's not written down, right? That's one way. So there's something specific to his personality. There's also another way to see it, I think even more interesting though, and to say that this person perhaps became 
unreliable and untrustworthy because he didn't write down, whereas the others were writing down. Do you see the difference? So in the first case, the Holy Prophet is dealing with him because of who this person is. This person is not someone who can learn things very quickly. He's forgetful. He doesn't have a good memory. So it might be better for him to write down the things. And if it's not written down, then it's kind of unreliable. The other way to understand this is to say, because this is someone who did not write down everything like the others did, because he's not generally writing all of this down, it's not someone who was reliable. You understand? So in the first case, he is someone who is unreliable, therefore he should write. His memory is unreliable, therefore he should write. In the second case, he is unreliable because he is not writing. If he did like everybody else and wrote, then he would be someone who is more trustworthy and much more reliable. Any case, I leave this with you. The, I have two more or three more ingredients here. I'm looking at the time, maybe two more minutes. Since the next ingredient we talked about, we had a question about it last week, we can go over it quickly. This is a tabkir. This is starting with your knowledge seeking early in the day. The Holy Prophet says, and sometimes this narration is mentioned without the beginning, without ughdu fi talab al-ilm. Right? I have asked Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the Holy Prophet says in the second part, he says, I have asked my Lord to bless those who start early, who rise early or who start early. But the beginning of the hadith tells us in what setting the Holy Prophet is saying this. He says, rise early in seeking knowledge. For I have asked my Lord to bless those who rise early. Okay, so it's not in general, the Holy Prophet. Of course it's in general, in the sense that in our religion, and we spoke a little bit about this, there is a general structure to your day, and that day starts in an ideal situation a little bit before your fajr. Okay, but if that's not possible, at least with your morning prayer. And there are many, many benefits to this. If we can actually structure our days this way, the first, foremost, most important part of this is that it's going to give you a lot more time to your day. This is an additional 30 minutes or one hour or two hours that you're going to gain that is usually not going to be filled with the distractions of the day that everybody is stuck dealing with during the rest of the day, including you. Everybody is up at 8 and 9. That's it. You're part of the daily routine. But if you are able to start at 5 or 4 or 3, you can easily add a 30-minute or an hour or 2 or 3 to your day. That's one. So you're adding time to your day that nobody else is adding. If you're actually doing this, then there's something that goes with this, which is the discipline. In order to do this, you have to organize your day. And you have to sleep early enough so that you can actually wake up at that time. If you don't do that, there's no way for you to. You might be able to do it one day or two if you have the, 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 the discipline to do it, but you won't be able to sustain this day in and day out. 
So you're going to be forced to sleep a lot earlier so that you can wake up a lot earlier and start your day then. And if this becomes the normal structure to your day, this day becomes much more Islamic. Your day is going to be built, is going to be organized around the prayer times. You start your day around the Fajr prayer. In fact, ideally, as we said, you would start it just a little bit before. This is when you do general tahajjud. If you can, you pray Salat al-Layl in the full version or in the short version. Five, ten minutes is all it takes. You recite a little bit of Quran. You do your Fajr prayer. And then you can start your day. And here you can have 45 minutes, one hour, two hours. That's up to you how you want to organize your life. What are the things that we usually complain about? I want to learn something. I want to read something. I want to listen to something. I don't have time. This is the time. Okay, inshallah. I don't think we have time today to talk a little bit about this. Next time we'll, I'll come back to this point. Okay, this is not something specific to us. In today's world, this has become a norm. This is well known. We should have been doing this for the 14 centuries that we've had our religion. And in fact, a lot of you know good Muslims, they do that. And if you would go to the seminary, you would be forced to do one version of that because the majority of the lessons start right after the Fajr prayer. They start very early in the day. They perform their Fajr prayer and perhaps one hour after the lessons start in the Hawza. So that's when you would start your day. You're free to go nap afterwards, but your day starts at that time and it's fine to nap. Two hours is not a nap, but that's fine. <laughs> okay, 30 minutes, 20 minutes, take a nap. That should give you enough energy. Okay, so that's one. It's going to give you more time to your day, time that all of us need, all of us want. And two, it's going to force you to have the discipline to organize your time. You cannot eat whatever you want, whenever you want, and sleep whenever you want, and watch whatever you want, whenever you want, and play until 2 a.m. and think that you're going to be able to wake up at 4 a.m. That doesn't make sense. It doesn't work. Okay? So here you have to reevaluate. You have to look at the schedule of your day and see what are your priorities, how are, gonna, how are you going to plan your time so that this schedule works. Okay? So that's uh, the point. And here... Of course, and we don't have time to spend too much time on this, but we're right on the heels of, we just left the holy month of Ramadan. This should have been one of the blessings, one of the teachings, one of the practical things and benefits that we take from the holy month, in which for the majority of us, we had no choice but to be up around the time of Fajr. So inshallah, at least that part is still there, or that we find a way to bring back into our daily schedule that we are up at the time of Fajr. Okay, if it means have a little light breakfast, that's great. A lot of people want to do a workout early in the day. Go do that. So long as your day is structured properly and don't miss out on the early morning. And inshallah, I'm going to talk a lot more about this point the next time because I was asked to. Okay, so the next ingredients, we're going getting close to the Salah prayer. The next ingredient, we had two. I just mentioned them very quickly. Inshallah, we add the details the next time. The next one had to do with not eating a lot. We have a number of narrations that associate wisdom 
and associate the seeking of knowledge with not eating too much. In fact, with an empty stomach. Wisdom and an empty stomach go together in a number of narrations. So inshallah, we will talk about that. And then the last ingredient has to do with seeking the opportunity of youth which is also mentioned in a lot of narrations and we have a few things to say there then inshallah this will be allow us to wrap up this section related to the ing ingredients of the effective learner in Islam based on the teachings of Ahlul Bayt salam and then we'll move to the manners of learning wa sallallahu ala sayyidina muhammadin wa ala alihi at-tayyibin at-tahirin